This call is being recorded. You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, everybody, I hope you continue to stay safe, healthy. I uh, hope the cabin fever isn't hitting everybody too hard. Uh, luckily, the weather's breaking here. At least you can get out in the yard, get some fresh air. Try to uh, get yourself through this trying time, at least somehow, some way. Uh, you look for some, it's easier. Obviously, for others, it's a lot harder. I get it. I get it. Uh, and everybody's got their ups and downs. Just try to be patient. It's the only thing we can do here while we are all locked in. I appreciate you all for remaining here with us here on Locked On Browns. Your host, Jeff Lloyd from SI.com today, Pete Smith. Uh, we're going to get into a couple of topics here. Uh, appreciate the feedback the other day from uh, the Matt Bowen and the Mark Sessler episodes. Obviously, you know, Matt's fantastic at what what he does, and it comes with just a tremendous amount of passion. Obviously, you know, former college football player, former pro player that Matt is. So always great sitting down to talk with him. And, uh, you know, Mark Sessler, like the rest of us world, in the world right now, we're going a little stir crazy here, trying to find some things to do here to pass the time. Uh, so always a pleasure to sit down and talk some Cleveland Browns with Mark. Uh, Pete, we got to get to it. We got to talk about it. Um, I, I don't know the realism of this Jadavian clowny scenario or what was there or if anything was there. It just seems a lot more, it would have been a lot louder if this was as close to possibly being something or maybe being something, the news would be louder. It'd be out there a lot more if this was a possibility that the Browns were interested in uh, Jadavian Clowney. No, I think this is entirely agent-driven. The the report wasn't even that the Browns offered a contract. It was they showed interest. And I think this entire thing is – uh, his agent, uh, who I believe is Buff Cook, who is also Miles Garrett's agent, which may be why uh, they talked in the first place, uh, to try to force teams like the Seattle Seahawks and anyone else to sort of make their best offer. Uh, the Browns, to me, I mean, they are, I guess, viable in the sense that they are, they have been aggressive in free agency and they've been effective in free agency. But this feels like a return to the past where the Browns are sort of being used as leverage to try to get other teams to sort of pony up because I think really Clowney just wants to stay in Seattle uh, and, and we'll see where that goes or, or wherever. Uh, I, I, I don't think Cleveland is all that interested. Uh, not to say they'll, they'll close the door on that. Hell, they won't close the door on Trent Williams, and that's not going to happen. Uh, but at the same time, it's just this this feels like uh, an effort to try to get the market flushed out. The, the team that could be the most patient in this situation is, is the Cleveland Browns because they, they have the cap uh, to sort of sit tight. They can easily sign – whether it's Everson Griffin, whether it's Jadavian Clowney, they can sign those guys before they make a move uh, with, with Olivier Vernon uh, if that's sort of where they want to go. And if not, they're perfectly content to sit there with Olivier Vernon. So they, they have no uh, urgency to sort of force this action, whereas uh, Clowney's agent does. He wants a deal done. They, they probably want a short-term deal. Uh, to get back out of the market, but they want to get whatever the best offer from these teams, particularly Seattle, because Seattle has more pressure. Obviously, they traded for him, uh, but that seems to be the play here. 
Um, and you look at it, and obviously one team you didn't mention is probably the New York Jets. Um, and when you're an agent, what are you going to do here? you got to be smart about how you do this. You can't say the Kansas City Chiefs are showing interest because, you know, don't have the cap space to meet the de- meet the demands here. Um, you know, Seattle, you know, perhaps the uh, Everson Griffin rumors for that is, you know, Seattle basically countering this saying, all right, well, you've got our numbers. And if not, we could go ahead and apply lesser money and get sort of, you know, kind of the same return in a player like Everson Griffin here. It's certainly the game here. And I do agree. It, it seems odd that it's only coming from, you know, essentially one source. And now uh, Jake Treader here, obviously, you know, he's picking it up with a little bit. Um, sure. Could there have been talks and could the Browns have said, you know, we're interested at maybe this number, which is certainly not meeting uh, what you know Cook and what Clowney are hoping for. Obviously, they're looking here to, you know, cash in essentially yet again after being the number one overall pick. Um, for the money it's going to cost, um, you're essentially moving Clowney in for Vernon out. And, well, that's that's a tough story as it is. Um, but, P, for everybody who's so gung-ho on go get Clowney, go get Clowney, there's not much difference. I mean, both players have had their injury histories. There's no way around that. Uh, they have had injuries. Uh, Clowney's have been far more significant. Uh, Vernon's never, I mean, uh, Vernon's had sort of issues, but I don't think he's ever actually had surgery, whereas Clowney's obviously had micro surgery, I believe, uh, and some other major issues. The question with Clowney isn't talent. Clowney's literally as good as he wants to be. The problem is it's unclear how often he wants to be it. Um, he doesn't produce sacks like you'd want a guy uh, for what he'd be making to produce. Um, he His career high is 9.5 sacks. Uh, he had nine following year. And then this past season, he had three. Um, and you can get into... Uh, the mitigating circumstances of why he might only have three in the same way that you can get the mitigating circumstances of why Olivier Vernon only had three and a half. Uh, But if your big issue with Olivier Vernon is, well, he didn't produce on the stat sheet, it's a really difficult case to make for for Clowney. Uh, Clowney is fantastic in the fact that he uh, can dominate the line of scrimmage. Uh, He has some versatility in that, you know, theoretically you could make him your base end. And then you get the nickel, you move Garrett to left end, you put Adrian Claiborne at right end, and you have Clowney and Sheldon Richardson attacking from the middle. And you have a freakishly athletic front. It's not difficult to sort of talk yourself into that. But when it comes to the contract, you have to, you know, figure out what is it you are paying for. And I think when it comes to Javion Clowney, you're just not – getting enough and, and the, the proof is sort of in the playoffs with Clowney he uh, when he's gotten to the playoffs he's been arguably the best player on the field uh, he almost beat the uh, Patriots by himself uh, with the Houston Texans uh, one year where they just moved him up and down the line and he just absolutely wrecked havoc um, he you know inadvertently took out uh, Carson Wentz with a concussion for the Seahawks um, and there are games where he is just an absolute force, but there are too many times where you're, you, you're just sitting there going, why isn't he sort of doing anything? And, and the, other, the, the other part of that is you're basically going to give, would be giving him uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 
you know, 75% or so, 70% of what Miles Garrett's going to get on his extension. And he's nowhere near as good as Miles Garrett. Um, and that's not to downplay Jadavian Clowney. That's how good Miles Garrett is. So uh, you have Miles Garrett. How much do you want to pay for a guy who's not nearly as good? And obviously that's sort of the frustration people have with Olivier Vernon. And I think some of that's overstated, but that's where you're sort of looking at this and going, well, if I'm getting this guy, shouldn't he be a superstar or, you know, a, a, a just a genuine stud? And with Clowney, he's just not. And then and I guess my question is, would you rather um, would you rather invest that much on a guy like Jadevian Clowney, or would you rather have somebody like Yannick Ngakwe? And obviously, that would require a trade. Um, but let's, you know, let's say in a in a there's a universe where uh, the Jags don't get what they want in terms of uh, trade, and ultimately Ngakwe signs his tender, and then he's a free agent next year. Um, would you rather sort of? be in a bidding war on to get Ngakwe on the open market, or would you rather get Clowney? And to me, I'd probably rather get Ngakwe because he actually, you know, is a is a force when it comes to dealing with the quarterback. And I think ultimately the, Brown, the Browns are more inclined to sort of wait and see on that front because they may be able to do what the Eagles did this year when they got uh, Darius Slay and find somebody who's making a ton of money. Uh, and Either a team that's rebuilding or trying to cut salary or whatever, and they just sort of get, get that get that player for some some draft assets that's ultimately cheaper and what they would be giving up for some of these other things. I, I think that's far more likely to happen than anything with Clowney. A couple things here. Um, you know, the obviously uh, 18, 17 and eighteen with the nine season sack totals. Um, it seemed like he played better with J.J. Watt being healthy, with J.J. Watt being around. Um, this year in Seattle, where he is the main attraction, um, obviously the sack numbers were down. Um, you get him here, and to pay him a premium price, look, a lot of guys are capable of eating as the defensive end opposite of Miles Garrett. Uh, the question is, you know, do you want to go top shelf for that? Pete, is there a monetary number for Clowney per year where you say, you know what, hell yeah, let's do it? Um, good question. Probably that $16 million figure number he doesn't want. I mean, that's sort of the <laughs> issue is if I have a clowny is what I'd want to give him, he doesn't want um, because I don't, uh, be, because the thing is you, you are theoretically, if the, if, if there's a chance the NFL doesn't have a season, you know, what happens with that and what are you sort of paying for in that scenario? So it's right around 60 million, which is obviously, you know, the 15.5 million for Vernon plus about $500,000. And I think that's ultimately why the Browns are going to sit tight. And obviously if Clowney uh, were to re-sign with Seattle, it may increase the likelihood that the Browns get were to be able to get Everson Griffin. Uh, and then they actually save money uh, from that standpoint, getting Griffin as opposed to, to Vernon. Ultimately, I think I'm just satisfied with the Vernon for one year and then get all that cap room back in addition to the absurd amount of cap room they appear primed to have 
uh, going into next year uh, and, and be really able to operate from a massive position of strength? Uh, look, I mean, it, it's enticing. Um, the thought of it, especially you, when you, you bring up this NASCAR package that you can go to a nickel and dime, um, where essentially you're putting four defensive ends on the field, obviously, which is Sheldon Richardson's experience there. It's crazy. It's enticing. Um, a lot of that obviously still exists when you have, you know, Olivier Vernon, you can, you know, still look at this and think about kind of doing that type of stuff here. Um, cause you could always kick miles inside with Sheldon. You can still do that regardless of whether or not you make the move for Clowney. Money be interesting. Um, and look, if it's 16 million, that's not going to be enough for Jadavi and Clowney. This waiting may go on, or you just might be looking for, you know, a team that's not very good. Who's got a boatload of cap space, just willing to, you know, use some of it for, you know, a name, so to speak here. Um, but it's definitely intriguing. So we certainly wanted to get to that here. We'll get to a little bit more here. And actually this question I got here will actually coincide very well with, uh, the whole clowny situation. Um, small businesses, uh, obviously those are the ones probably suffering the most tremendous effect through a time like this here. Um, obviously we have a bunch of fine folks, uh, putting out apparel here, uh, for Cleveland sports, the city of Cleveland, things of that nature. Uh, Brian Zabo and his family, obviously this is Brian's livelihood. Um, you know, how he feeds his kids, uh, Brian, a former veteran, got two kids actively serving, uh, Zabo Apparel, S-Z-A-B-O, ZaboApparel.com on Twitter, on Instagram, at Zabo Apparel. You're looking for quality Browns gear, quality Cleveland sports gear, anything city Cleveland related, uh, uh, city of Cleveland related, Zabo Apparel. Go ahead and check them out. And, uh, you know, just if you can try to, you know, pay it forward here as these small businesses are suffering a great, great deal. Now, this question comes from, I just want to make sure I get it right here. I believe it is from Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland 216. Now, this would say, now, the addition of Clowney, and his question here, is Cleveland all in? And I don't think they are having the mentality here. I definitely think they're they're looking long game. They're not looking short game here. Is Cleveland all in? And I guess a move for Clowney, Pete, because he is a free agent, would be yeah, they're in. I guess that would be the ultimate que- the ultimate answer to this question. If they were to go out and pursue a guy like Clowney at his age, that would maybe show signs of yes, we are all in. Um, I don't know. I don't think that would be an all in move. Uh, I think Clowney's only twenty seven, but more importantly, it's just even if you have Clowney, if you're essentially getting him for the same amount, or you know, let's say. Let's say it's eighteen million dollars. It's basically Olivier Vernon plus two point five million. They're still in a in a crazy position to be able to sort of um, operate uh, in twenty twenty one. Uh, no, all in to me would be you know you're trading draft picks. You're you're uh, you know you're trying to make bigger acquisitions. Um, right now than they are. Uh, they have been. They've been obviously they've been aggressive in getting Jack Conklin. They've been aggressive in getting Austin Hooper and, and adding a bunch of players that are like many of which are probably temps this year. They've been aggressive, but at the same time they've been prudent. So they are keeping their themselves able to uh, operate from a from a position of strength. And and I think they what what's ultimately happening is. The Browns are sort of have assembled this team, and obviously offense is where they, you know, they're, they're they're very confident in where they are. They're very confident in what they can be, and depending on how this season goes, 
you know, assuming there is one or it's shortened or whatever, they if they if they have a successful season, you know, if they look like a team that's ready to be that aggressive next step, then 2021 they can really go uh, really hard for to sort of add the the pieces to that defense. Um, some premium pieces in addition to whatever draft assets they have and make that move there. Uh, if not, then they can sort of push it off a year. They they have this, the, the strategy they've employed really gives them the ability to wait and see just where they're going to be in a year from now and then operate from there. The, they, have, they are operating uh, from the standpoint of our offense has to be good if we're going to be good. And we've given that, you know, every every asset possible to do that. You know, obviously the finishing piece is going to be whichever left tackle they draft. Um, and then if the defense is okay or the defense holds well or the offense is dominant and, you know, they look great and they, you know, make the playoffs or whatever, they can make that big push. If not, they can sort of hesitate a little bit and keep – messing with the cap room and, and keep their options open longer term. That's sort of the, the why I think this regime has been so smart is they aren't – they took a situation where John Dorsey effectively screwed the Browns in terms of their window and sort of reopened it. Obviously, they're going to be in a, diff, a, a disadvantage in the fact that they're not going to be able to take advantage of Baker Mayfield's rookie window and Miles Gear's rookie window the way that, that, that should have been done. Uh, but they are sort of making it so they can extend Miles Garrett, uh, get some of these other contract extensions in place, and still be able to operate uh, with a good amount of leeway, cap room, and ability to sort of still build to when they can sort of pinpoint the time they really want to go in. I think if they were going to be all in this year, um, the, the move to me would have been going, going giving up you – know, I don't Still absurd, but third round pick for like Anthony Harris, and they didn't do that uh, smartly. I, I think that would have been a bigger move. I think you know they could have gone for a guy like Darius Slay, uh, added that type of move. Those are the type of moves that you know make you feel like you're all in, or you know made that trade for Calais Campbell. Um, those are to me all in moves or very very aggressive moves. The, the Browns have certainly been willing to go out there and go get players, but they have been restrained enough, at least on def on defense, to sort of give, give themselves some options. Yeah, I think they've kind of gone with the, you know, we're improving. We think we're involved. Um, but like you said, they they never, they haven't gone that last major domino where you're making a move that's basically essentially giving away future assets to improve this team for this year. Um, but you look at it and what they've done, obviously, you know, we've, the, talked for at length about the uh, you know what you were going to need to do with the tackle situation. Boom, took care of that one. Tight end situation, same type of thing here. Um, we've screamed for two years about the defensive line depth on this team. Now you're looking minimum six guys with proven NFL resumes. Um, obviously, still work to do on defense. Um, maybe a Clowney move would you know, tip that there, but keeping in mind, you know, with Clowney, that automatically means you're most likely not keeping Olivier Vernon. So you're adding a player while still subtracting one. Go ahead. Think of it this way, though. Let's say Clowney signs a one-year deal with Seattle, you know, if that's what he really, you know, because he wants to sort of get himself back on the market, as a lot of these players do with the salary cap rate spike 
uh, the next couple of years yeah. to be able to put yourself back in that position. And the Browns have a very good year with Vernon, you know, whatever he goes and they, they start assembling the defense. What's to prevent them from then going after Jadevian Clowney when they feel really good about where they're at as opposed to not being sure? That's sort of what I think these options are doing for them. Again, if Yannick Ngakwe ultimately doesn't sign in Jacksonville or doesn't get traded or whatever and signs a one-year tender in Jacksonville or Khalil Mack's absurd contract value, uh, the Bears decide, whoa, we can't afford this next year. And then – you know, the Browns ultimately see that and go, hey, we can get this guy, you know, and add him to the mix. I think that's where this goes is you – Clowney could still be in the mix next year uh, if he signs a, a short deal or whatever. Or, you know, that's sort of where they're at. And that's why I think they're being very smart. They're, they're, they've set their values. They're sticking to them. And, and ultimately, that could put them in position to really make that move. Now, obviously, none of this matters if they go out and suck. So they have to be able to be effective and, and win games. <laughs> um, of course, and, you know, obviously, that uh, always makes the uh, the welcome at, so to speak, or the invitation to the facility for, you know, said contract negotiations. Uh, obviously, selling point is, look, here's where we are. You know, we are you away from getting to the AFC uh, championship game, things of that nature. Um, and obviously, look, I you know I think again, I don't think they think they're all in, but I do agree with you 100. Where it's, I think they have their bottom line, so to speak, and where their interest would be on said players. Obviously, it worked out well in the beginning uh, with Hooper with Conklin. So for anybody, it's well, this is where we're at. If you want to play ball, you want to talk more, or you want to get closer to finalizing this, give us a call. But this is you know our roundabout. This is where we're going to be. If you want to negotiate the numbers somehow, some way to you know, have the contract, you know, speak, speak to where it's more of your advantage. Sure. But, you know, we are where we are at here. We're going to get to one more here. Um, and this is one actually from Paul Spencer. So we'll get to that here in one second. Uh, when you wake up in the morning, uh, your Google, uh, you Google home, ask for the latest Cleveland Browns news. Uh, you get shorter stints, one minute, five minute for me. Um, factual stuff here. We're doing uh, on the five minute ones. We're going to do two prospects a day up until the draft here. So if you didn't check that one out, we did uh, the linebacker from Wyoming, Mr. Wilson, obviously Meek Robinson, a uh, cornerback who uh, everybody seems to love out of Louisiana Tech. So be sure to check those out on your Google Home. Ask you to play the latest Cleveland Browns news, and you'll get me brought up, or even ask for the show Locked On Browns, and it will be brought up for you over there. We've got into this a little bit here, Pete. Um, but obviously with a player like Marcus Bailey and now these last few guys, whether it's an Ashton Davis, whether it's, uh, you know, Thaddeus Moss um, and even the small schoolers here. Um, this is the worst draft scenario for guys like this. Um, you know, you had now obviously the report out with Bailey where things are looking better here. But, you know, with Marcus Bailey, it's two ACLs. So that, that's a huge gamble. Um, obviously, Ashton Davis, it's not as significant. Thaddeus Moss, it's not as significant. But the small schoolers, and, you know, I've talked about the running back from, you know, uh, my football program, Monmouth University, Pete Guerrero. Pete's dynamic guy kind of got like a, you know, Jamal Charles light type of vibe to him, obviously coming from a lower level, not from a school like Texas. But you've got the long speed. This is rough for these guys, Pete, because there's no way to really legitimately get checked out by your team's doctors. And for the small schoolers, it's a gamble of not knowing a guy nearly as well as saying, well, I've got a guy here with four years of SEC tape, tape so to speak. It, it makes for a really, really tough draft process and a tough year for these guys 
to improve their stock. And look, a guy like Marcus Bailey was always going to be a gamble anyway. I still love the player. But for me, it would be you know with that sixth or that seventh round pick, if somebody else is going to gamble early, that's fine. But I mean, there's a legit possibility you could draft Marcus Bailey, Pete, and your doctors could say, I don't know if we can put him on a field. Well, that's the key. Uh, and he was evaluated by one team's uh, doctors. Cardinals, I think, right? Cardinals doctors? Yeah, and I assume that, you know, whatever scans or whatever they, you know, they were sent to all 32 teams or 31 other teams. But that, well, first, they may not like what they see. But second, you know, some team just doctors just may not feel comfortable without sort of being able to personally uh, evaluate them. And that's sort of the key. And, you know, Marcus Bailey may be fortunate that he was sort of able to get this information out there. It may help him. Uh, they may decide he's healthier and that may sort of prevent him from falling. The other hand, there may be players or, or particularly from smaller schools or whatever that don't get this information out and don't have the ability to sort of inform them. But uh, regardless, ultimately it comes down to the team's doctors because I don't think, or I should say I'd be very surprised if you know, you're, uh, one team's doctor says, you, you know, we, we don't, we don't like what we're seeing. We don't trust this. And the team's like, well, we're drafting him in anyway. So I think it's a case of uh, if, if the team doesn't feel good about it or they don't have the information, they're basically going to pass. Uh, or obviously they could you know, figure out where the, the rubber meets the road on that risk versus reward. But, you know, that is a potential big thing. And whether you believe uh, the stuff about Tua falling or where he's actually going or all this stuff, or maybe this is where he was valued all along, that could be a byproduct of that. And there's a lot of guys like that uh, in this class that, you know, have had surgery uh, or, you know, were evaluated at the combine and they didn't have the me combine medical recheck. LaVisca Chenault had surgery on his pubic bone. You know, there's all these guys that sort of, you know, and this happens every year on some level, but this is obviously a unique situation where a guy gets drafted about where you thought he might, and then there are guys who don't get drafted at all, and then if you find out later it was about the medical. So I, this draft has the potential to be more volatile in terms of where guys with medical issues go. Uh, that And some of this may be a case of how – you know, how, how good of a choice did you make on agents? You know, there's, there's a lot of factors in play, but ultimately, you know, if a team doesn't, doesn't have a, their doctors sign off on it, and the doctors are going to be probably more uh, cautious this year than most, just because they don't have the accessibility that, that would seem like you're going to bet on the under as opposed to the over, which is why, you know, a guy like Antoine Winfield, uh, I think Mel Kuyper had him going something like 18th. It's really difficult for me to believe that because it's for this reason. So, I, you know, those guys are real wild cards in this. I don't know where you project a guy like that to go. I still think he'll go pretty high, but, again, you're sitting there and you're a little nervous. And, obviously, his injury situations were in the past, and, and he was at the combine, but still, it's, that's sort of that wild card. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, Winfield, I believe, yeah, I remember because I had some people talking about it yesterday and when I drafted him at 41 in a mock, it's, it's never going to happen. And those guys are always the best. Um, 
because they had him, I guess I think it was Friday. They both had him at 19 overall. Uh, look, I'm not ruling it out. I'm not saying it's certainly not possible. Um, but, you know, you do have and injuries are huge. And the thing with Marcus Bailey, and which is actually funny that it was the Arizona doctors. I'm not sure who Marcus's agents are. I'm assuming maybe he's got the same agents that Michael Dogbay had, because I know Michael Dogbay last year trained in Arizona and leading up to the draft. If you remember, Pete and I absolutely loved him, loved the versatility the guy brought. Um, I knew it was a late meeting with Arizona and who ended up taking him in the seventh round with the Arizona Cardinals. So it could be the same type of thing for Marcus Bailey, where he ends up just being a, you know, if the Cardinals doctor saw him and indeed signed off, then he could be, you know, end up being property of the Arizona Cardinals coming, you know, next weekend. Hard to believe three weeks from today, we, that will be it. We will be done with the 2020 NFL draft. It will be in the books at that point here. Um, they're going to continue to come at it hard, uh, you know, with three weeks ago, you know, looking, you know, looking forward to it from the um from the break of it looking forward to you know just cutting up the day and getting away from obviously the insanity the news and the terrible news that we hear can you know day in day out uh put a bow on this one here everybody again just continue to stay safe stay patient um again i understand for a lot of people it's difficult trust me i get it i'm not used to being home ever um and here i am essentially you know almost three weeks now in this house. Uh, so everybody stay safe. Uh, make sure you're checking everything out on SA.com from Browns Digest, from Pete and his team over there. Make sure you're following Browns Digest on Twitter. Make sure you're following at underscore Pete Smith underscore. The show itself at Locked On Browns. Always follow back account. DMs are open. Me personally at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. DMs are open there. Uh, any questions you want for the show, anything as you want to start, you know, throwing in stuff about how everybody's dealing with the situation and, you know, me, I'm just eating, eating a ton, a lot, a lot, a lot. No McDonald's yet, though. Past COVID, I will do that challenge. And hopefully I don't refund it like a former NFL punter. Um, so, guys, it's been good. We'll have Mock Draft Monday. Uh, you know, I'll get that for you tomorrow morning. Um, I think Pete's got a new one dropping here, so we'll critique the living hell out of that while Pete's not around so we can, uh, you know, don't have to get whipped. Um, so we have, uh, you know, free up Pete here for a little bit, uh, whatever comes from the draft network here. I'll probably run through one of the simulators myself. So that's what you got coming. You still got the uh, Matt Bowen show, the Mark Sessler show. Uh, Dane Brugler is going to pop in this week. Uh, just doing all we can here to mix up the variety here and just get some different thoughts here, some different opinions. Uh, you know, Pete and I will eventually get to, you know, start breaking this down a little bit more players by round, you know, positions, you know, per round and stuff that will fit the Browns. I'm sure Pete's going to have his, what was the list, Pete? What is it like 61 names? What was it last year? Pete's Browns board. Pete's Browns board. My overall board was like 113, and I this year I have no idea what's going to even happen with that because I have the lack of information makes it impossible to sort of really cut it down. But yeah, it was like a usually it ends up around 115 or so. And this is, you know, again, this is one thing, and we were talking about, you know, with these players and these small schoolers, it's going to make it difficult for an analytical franchise to make a lot of decisions when you have incomplete reports. So everybody stay safe. Enjoy your Sunday. We'll talk to you during the week. Uh, this has been your daily delivery of all things dog pound LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.